Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The Apostle Paul, he was seeking to live his life as an example that others could follow as he himself was following the example of Jesus. And that is a big challenge to live up to, isn't it? Well, we're continuing our study through the letter of Philippians today. And it could be considered today's study as part two from last time. The big idea last time was be like Jesus, imitate Jesus. And a big idea today that naturally follows from that is live a life that can be imitated by imitating Jesus. Live a life that can be imitated by imitating Jesus. Let's flip over to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading in verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It's Paul writes, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in, a, in order to fulfill his good purpose. Paul begins this section encouraging the believers in the Philippian church again to continue making progress in their lives as followers of Jesus, no matter what happens to Paul himself. You might remember, Paul, he doesn't know what the outcome is going to be of his trial before Caesar, whether he is going to be freed or he's going to have his head cut off. And so, similar to what he did in Philippians 1.27, he's encouraging the Philippian believers again to press on following Jesus no matter what happens to him with this trial before Caesar. He says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Paul, he can't be with him in person, being in prison in Rome at the time. It's vitally important then that they continue to grow in spiritual maturity as followers of Jesus, even in his absence. And it made me think of the situation that we're in now with everyone having to stay home during this virus pandemic. It's vitally important that we continue to grow and mature in our spiritual life following Jesus, even though we're not able to gather together in person. At church on Sundays, for example, in small groups, uh, other ways of fellowshipping that we have used to draw strength and encouragement uh, from one another. Paul is exhorting the believers in Philippi to step up and put in the effort to keep growing spiritually. And we too need to step up and put in the effort to keep growing spiritually. It's easy to let ourselves go when there's no one holding us accountable and no one is seeing what we're doing, so to speak. When we were meeting in person, others knew if we were showing up for church for example, or not. Who, who's going to know if you are watching the live stream or not right now as a live stream? You can watch it later. You can watch it not at all. What would I know? What would anyone else know? It's easy to, to, to waste our time away, isn't it? Binge watching some useless show on Netflix rather than doing something that feeds us spiritually. Let's make 
choices to spend our time building ourselves up in Christ. Read something that feeds our soul. Watch or listen to some good Bible teaching. Spend some focused time in prayer. Take advantage of this unique time that the Lord is giving us to slow down and listen to Him. He is making it really easy for us to tune out the world's empty voices and listen to Him instead. Let's do that. Paul says, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The idea being expressed here is not that as believers we should be fearful and trembling about our salvation, about whether it's real or not, about whether it's going to happen or not, about whether we're going to make the cut or not, about whether we are really saved or not. The Lord, He doesn't want us to be living in dreadful fear all of the time, not knowing if we're really saved or not. I mean, how could a person ever find any peace and joy in that kind of tenuous, uncertain, stressful state? See, if, if you've rejected Jesus as Savior, if you have refused to become His follower, if you are trusting in the goodness of your own life as the determining factor for entrance into heaven, then you do have reason to be concerned. You have no reason to feel peaceful about your eternal destiny. In fact, you ought to be very concerned. You ought to be fearful and trembling. But, if you believe Jesus is the Savior and you have entrusted yourself to Him, believing His death was a sacrifice for your sin, that He was raised back to life on the third day and is now living forever interceding for you before God, and as evidence of the genuineness of your faith in Jesus Christ, you're following Him, well then you're saved and His peace is yours. What we're being told here in verse 12 is to treat our salvation as a very holy and sacred thing, to invest in it, to grow in it, to cooperate with the Lord in the good work that He's doing in us, to, to put into practice what we see in Jesus, to obey the Word of God, to imitate Jesus. Work out your salvation, He says. Put it into practice in your life. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation. You have received salvation. Now live like it. Live it out. Let the saving work of the Lord find full expression in your life. Let the saving work of the Lord have full access to you. Holding nothing back from the Lord. Let Him work in all parts of your life. He says with fear and trembling. It can phase a deep sincerity and seriousness about it. Treat your salvation as a holy, sacred thing. Have a deep respect and honor for what the Lord has done for you. Look at verse 13, which is the completion of Paul's thought here. He says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Where does the willingness and the ability to come, and ability come from for us to work out our salvation? It comes from God. God is working in us, giving us the will to do it and the strength to do it, to fulfill His good purpose, which is your salvation and His glory. This was the promise of the new covenant. 
that God said he would establish through Jesus Christ. He said he would give us a new heart and put his spirit in us and move us to follow and obey him. The Lord is the enabling power in our life. What we have been called to be and do is beyond our own ability. We need the Lord to give us the willingness and the power to do it. And he's done both of those for us. If, if we had to depend on our own willingness and power to follow Jesus, then we wouldn't be able to do it. It wouldn't happen. Because we don't have the willpower and the strength to sustain that kind of dedication on our own, do we? See, the truth is, we can't be good enough, long enough, to save us. We're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Ephesians 2.8, Paul said, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When we come into this new relationship with the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ, He puts His Spirit in us, giving us a new willingness and strength to follow Him and obey His Word. Now some of you are thinking, I don't know, Jeff, I've still got some really strong desires to do some really sinful things. We all do. And I'm not excusing any of that. But I want to remind you that there was a time in your life when you didn't care if what you were doing is right or wrong. Now the Holy Spirit doesn't let you get away with that anymore. You feel awful when you sin. You know the Lord isn't okay with what you're doing. He calls you out on that stuff. There was a time in your life when you didn't have the willingness to change your behavior. And now you do. You may not be making the choice to change, but you want to, you know you need to, and you know you can there was a time in your life when the possibility of making the choice wasn't even on the table. There was a time in your life when even, you, when, when even if you had the desire to change your behavior, you didn't have the strength to do it. Now you have a companion with you that you didn't have before, the Holy Spirit. Now you have a new spiritual life growing in you that has a new kind of character, the character of Jesus Christ. When we choose to do what we know is wrong, we rob ourselves of the peace and the joy and the fullness and the Lord that could be ours. And we're hindering and we're slowing our spiritual growth. Philippians 2, 14. Paul says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. <clears throat> in these verses, we have a description of what followers of Jesus look like when they are imitating Jesus. This is what it looks like when we obey the Lord, when we're imitating Jesus, holding firmly to the word of life. We do everything without grumbling or arguing. We are 
children of God, blameless, pure, without fault, shining like stars in the sky in a warped and crooked world. But let's talk for just a sec about the admonition Paul gives us here in verse 14 when he writes, do everything without grumbling or arguing. The word translated grumbling, it means complaining, murmuring, whining, having an attitude of discontentedness, being dissatisfied. The word translated arguing, it means being argumentative, looking for a fight, being disagreeable, being quarrelsome, being bad-tempered, being grumpy and snippy. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. In contrast, we're to have a joyful, pleasant, cooperative attitude and spirit about us. When we don't imitate Jesus, when we're not holding firmly to the word of life, when we are just acting like everyone else around us, we may still be children of God, but we don't look like it, do we? It's important that we obey the Lord, that we imitate Jesus, that we put his teachings into practice so that we are those beautiful lights shining in this dark, warped, confused, broken world. We're called to be light bringers. We're called to be hope bringers. And that happens when we are imitating Jesus. And in our own culture that we live in here, which has some knowledge about Christian ideals, when people see followers of Jesus not imitating Jesus, it, re- it creates disillusionment and hopelessness in them. Because we make Christianity look powerless and false. That's the downside of being a Christian nation by culture. It's a devastating indictment. To have leveled against us, isn't it? That we are hypocrites, bigots, racists, mean-spirited, judgmental, uninformed, compassionless, and so forth. These are all things that a follower of Jesus should never be. The most effective way for us to dispute those kinds of criticisms is not to be argumentative, but to imitate Jesus and be humble. Paul's deep desire in verse 16 is to see the character of Jesus formed in the Christians at Philippi and by extension in us. He says he'll know then that his work among them has been fruitful, that he didn't run or labor in vain. It's a tremendous blessing to see those you have invested your life into doing the stuff that you worked hard to teach them. He continues in verse 17. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. He says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, and this again is a reference to Paul's possible execution. And again, he encourages the Philippians and us to keep pressing forward in our faith in Christ. He says, don't give up even if I'm killed. Keep following the Lord. I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you because of our shared faith in Christ. Whether we live or die, all of us, whether we live or die, we are with the Lord. He's our source 
of joy rather than our circumstances. Now because Paul is incarcerated in Rome at the time, he's not able to visit the people in the church at Philippi, so he's going to send Timothy and Epaphroditus to Philippi in his place. And in these next verses, Paul, he gives high commendations of both of these men as examples to follow as people to imitate. Verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me, served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Timothy had been with Paul on his very first visit to the city of Philippi when the church was started there back in Acts chapter 16. Timothy also has spent time there on at least a couple of other occasions doing work there at the church, helping them. He's well known and he's loved by the people in the Philippian church. Paul is sending Timothy to carry word to the church in Philippi from Paul and then from them back to Paul. He's also sending him to serve in Paul's place to provide instruction and guidance for the church. Paul is obviously providing instruction and guidance for the church in this letter of Philippians that we have, but there is no substitute for being on-site, in-person, for teaching and troubleshooting, right? It, it is impossible to address in a letter all of the variations that might be encountered. It's, it's the same for us in our own day. These letters, like Philippians, provide us with guidance and principles to follow, but they don't tell us exactly how to handle every situation that we encounter in life. This is where having an example can be really helpful. We get to see how the principles are applied and lived out in real situations. It's also where experience and wisdom become valuable for us. Having veterans of the faith available to teach us, to ask questions, to seek advice from. This is why we, we seek out those who are older in the Lord than ourselves. Paul is sending his most trusted and capable associate to them to do what isn't possible in a letter. Look at how Paul describes Timothy here. Verse 20, he says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Do you remember what Paul wrote earlier in verses 3 and 4 of Philippians 2? He said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Timothy, he will put the needs and the interests and the concerns of the Philippians before his own. Timothy will be a living example of the kind of character that the Philippian believers are to have. 
He says in verse 22, You know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Timothy has proved himself among them as an example. They have observed Timothy in action before. He's legit. He's the real thing. The genuineness of his life has been proved by his actions. And then in verses 23 and 24, Paul, he admits that he himself doesn't know how things are going to go at his trial if he is to be set free or executed. His hope is that he'll be set free so that he too can come and visit them. But it's interesting here, and I think it's worth us observing Paul's example, that he doesn't know for sure. It is all ultimately up to the Lord how things play out in his life and in ours. Paul knows that, and he finds peace in that. Not in the circumstance, not in whether he's going to be freed or whether he's going to be killed. He finds peace in the sovereignty of God over his life, that he has entrusted himself to the Lord no matter what. We need to do the same thing. Remembering that God's sovereign hand is always the final determining factor in our life. That's the foundation for peace in our life. When life gets big and complicated and full of viruses and all kinds of crazy stuff, it feels like everything is flying apart and out of control. We can have peace by trusting in the umbrella of God's sovereignty. He's got the whole world in His hands. No matter what happens, in the end, He has it all. And we can trust Him with it all. In verse 25, Paul turns his focus to Epaphroditus. He says, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give him, or give me, I mean. Epaphroditus is from the church at Philippi. He's from Philippi. The the church had sent him to Paul at Rome with a financial gift from the church and then to lend Paul a hand however he could. He has also functioned as their messenger. He brought news to Paul about how the church was going, including its progress and its problems. And actually some of the things that Paul addresses in the letter of Philippians are in response to what Epaphroditus had told him was happening back at the church, both good and bad. While on this mission to Rome on behalf of his home church in Philippi, Epaphroditus had become very ill. It says he almost died he was so sick. Word of his illness 
has gotten back to the people in Philippi who were now worried about him and apparently concerned that rather than being a help for Paul, he's actually been a burden for Paul. Putting myself in Epaphroditus's shoes for a moment, I can imagine him feeling pretty useless when he first got to Paul at Rome. I mean, he had been given this exciting opportunity to travel to Rome to deliver the church's gift to Paul and then stay around and give Paul a hand with things. But he ends up getting deadly sick, not able to do anything. Rather than being a help for Paul, Paul has to take care of him. Epaphroditus, he eventually recovered from his illness and he did indeed become a valuable help to Paul apparently. But those first days, they must have been hard for him. So discouraging for him. Wondering if he would ever make a useful contribution to Paul's work in Rome at all. I said, oh man, I've just come and added more work for Paul. I've just added to his troubles. Now he's got me, a sick me to take care of. But the Lord was gracious. It says Paul is now sending Epaphroditus back to Philip, Philip to back to Philippi as the carrier of this letter that we're reading. He's the one who actually carries this letter of Philippians back to Philippi for Paul as well as he's going to be someone who can provide a first-hand account of how things have been going for Paul in Rome. Paul reassures the Philippians of the value that Epaphroditus has been. He calls him his brother, his co-worker, his fellow soldier. He tells them to honor people like Epaphroditus because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to help Paul on behalf of of the Philippian church. The Greek word it translated honor, it means to hold in high regard and respect. To see as highly valued this person. So similar to what Paul does with Timothy, he holds Epaphroditus up as an example to follow. And how he's put the needs of others before his own. He risked his life For the work of Christ, he put his own personal interests aside to serve Paul and the Lord and the church. Let's be examples for others to follow. We have Paul, we have Timothy, we have Epaphroditus, we have Jesus. Paul wrote in his letter of 1 Corinthians, we looked at this at the beginning, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In Paul's letter to Timothy, he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, he says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. We see Timothy doing that with the believers in Philippi. He sets an example for them to follow. Let us follow Timothy's good example, being an example for others to follow. You see, there are two ways that we can run this race of life. Some run the race of life like it's an individual event. They run for their own individual achievements and goals. And that sounds good on the surface. But what do you have at the end of your life? 
your achievements, which, as Solomon wisely observed, will eventually be forgotten when you're gone. There will be no remembrance of those things by those who come after you. But there's another way we can run the race of life. Rather than run it as an individual event, we can run it like it's a relay race. You've received the baton from others who came before you, those who have lived an example for you to follow and imitate. Live your life in such a way now so that you can be passing the baton to others coming after you by being an example for them to follow and imitate. Then your life goes beyond this life. Your life's influence goes beyond this life. You're part of a chain that goes on and on as the people of God. When closing this morning, the challenge to be a good example for others to follow, it's a big one. It's huge. We struggle to live up to it. We have our moments of brilliance when we're firing on all cylinders, everything is clicking, we have our head in the game, we're doing the right thing at the right time for the right reasons. And, you know, I mean, we're fine with others following our example then, aren't we? No problem. But there are many other moments in our life when we don't want anyone repeating what we're doing. We don't want anyone watching or taking notes of our terrible shortcomings and foolishness and sin. We're awful examples in those moments. And there tends to be more of those in my life than the good ones. Maybe that's the truth for you too. But we can be an example to follow even in our failures when we're a person who admits our sin, we repent, we seek forgiveness from those that we've wronged, we get back up and we try again trusting in the grace of the Lord rather than ourselves. See, we're not perfect. We're broken, we're damaged, we're sinful people depending on the love of the Lord. Our humility and our trust in Him, those are important examples for others to see too. Before you throw the towel in on this idea of being an example for others, I want to remind you of that precious truth that we're given in the first two verses that we read today in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. It says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Who's working in you? The Lord. For what purpose? For His good purpose. And what's His good purpose? Your salvation and His glory. Live a life that can be imitated by imitating Jesus. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your good word today and the challenge that you've laid before us, Lord, to live a life that can be imitated as we imitate Jesus. Father, I ask that you to encourage my brothers and sisters this morning who feel like they're nothing but a bunch of road rash as they have fallen and sinned and just made an awful mess of themselves, Lord. Lord, that you would encourage us you would forgive us, that you would restore us, that you would redeem 
our life. And Lord, you would make us into the people you want us to be. We ask that you would grow the character of Jesus in us. And Lord, that we would indeed be people that others can follow as examples of those who trust in you, Lord, obey and follow you. Make those things true in us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.